live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, 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 and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, tonight, uh, it's a show looking back. It's a show um, thinking about some of the things. Often we talk about, um, we talk about how the children, maybe that there is a, you know, this this ongoing hangover from uh, the pandemic times. Um, sometimes uh, we, we still think about it. I wanted to ask this question. I wanted to know what was happening for teachers, what that experience was. I wanted to take this opportunity to look back, start of the year. I was hoping that we would be able to pause for a moment, find out. We're going to talk to some teachers. We're going to be joined by Joanne and, and by Mike, um, who, who changed during that period, and maybe reflect a little bit on the, on their journeys, some of the conversations. We put out a Twitter poll, and, and that Twitter poll came back, and it suggested that there was still a, a, a hangover, maybe, of what had been a disrupted start to some people's teaching careers. Um, so we're joined. I can see we already have Joanne in the studio um, joining us now. Though I'm just going to check that she can hear me. Joanne, are you there? Hiya. Yeah, I'm here. Hi. Well, welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. It's, it's good to have you here. You know, in the introduction there, I was talking a little bit about... Um, well, you know, this disruption and things that happened during training. And as I said, I know we're going to be joined by Mike, um, Mr. Kemp, and, and hopefully he'll call in and join us as well and talk. You know, I wanted to start off talking a little bit. If you're there, uh, Mike, Michael, just hit that call in button and, and, and we'll connect you. But Joanne, what, you know, while I've got you here, why don't we start by talking just a little bit about where you currently are in, in your career, and then we'll track back a little bit before that. So Joanne, tell us a little bit about what you currently do. Okay, so what I currently do, um, I'm my third year of teaching. I am an ECT2 now. I am a religious studies teacher I'm at a lovely little school in Hastings. Um, and a mental health first aider as well at that school, as well as the union rep at that school as well. Um, so that's what I'm doing at the moment. Um, and this year I've started teaching key stage three as well as four and five. <laughs> um, is that what you wanted to know? Yeah, no, that's fantastic. That's a great start to us. And I can see jo uh, Michael has joined us as well. Michael, are you there? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. So, Mike, Wonderful. Michael, which do you prefer, by the way? Uh, go with Mike. Mike, fantastic. Now, if you're able to just tell us kind of a little bit about what you currently do, and as I said, before we track back to kind of find out what that experience really was. Yeah, sure. So, I'm a predominantly French teacher. Um, this year, I've started to teach a little bit of Spanish as well, which is out of my comfort zone, but needs must. Um, I finished my ECT2 last year. And this year I've started being two IC for languages, which is very exciting for me. And it's, yeah, it's in a, an academy in Southeast London. 
Fantastic. Now, as I say, that kind of gives us an idea for where you guys are at now. But I wanted to track back. And as I say, this show is going to be talking a little bit about, I guess, some of the questions we, you know, we need to ask ourselves as a profession is, you know, did we do enough to support you? You know, what was that journey like? You know, um, is it still having an impact? Is there still support that needs to be in place? All of those things. But, but Joanne, can you tell us a little bit, thinking back then to your training, how was it uh, affected and disrupted by the pandemic? Um, it feels like a lifetime ago, but also not that long ago at all. Um, it was impacted by the pandemic, I guess, because I, I signed up to do Teach First, which, if you don't know, is a trial by fire. <laughs> it is a sink or swim teaching program where you go in with a month's training not in a school and you are thrown in the deep end with a 70% timetable and you learn to teach as you're teaching. Um, normally, pre-pandemic, you would do a residential time of study at a university so mine would have been Canterbury and we would have studied with other teachers um at the at the uni um however because we were going in and out of lockdowns I did my training online um away from everyone and as you may or may not be able to tell by my um very subtle accent I'm not from England I I moved here for the job and I guess it impacted me because I was moving to a new country to do a new job, brand new profession, and I met nobody. And it, it was very difficult actually to do things like, I don't know, a, a mock sort of do now exercise, which you normally do in person with other adults. You would have to do in a, over Zoom on a camera with a couple of people in a Zoom room. And so it was even more being thrown into the deep end when we started in September, lockdowns ended again, and we were in front of real people, um, which I had never met before, including my colleagues. So it was a, it was a uh, hair raising experience starting teaching anyway. Uh, I don't think I'll ever do anything more stressful in my life, <laughs> um, but very worth it, I'd say. So that's why, that's the main point of disruption. It was also very disrupted because I didn't. We didn't have the same access to tutors. People coming into a room to observe, they couldn't do that. Especially if we were in bubbles, um, which we did with some of our year groups, where they were separated from other year groups, and certain people in certain buildings that make up my school weren't able to go into the lower building where I was based to observe me. Meaning my feedback was again all online. Um, so that that also affected uh, my training as well um, as I had it savvy with lots of different technologies and platforms to try and scramble together my training while the people that were meant to be training me was also trying to figure it out. <laughs> so we were both there in this situation where neither of us had been in before <laughs> trying to figure out, God, what do we do <laughs> in this sink or swim situation? Oh, the, the the additional pressures and it's not something that I'd you know necessarily thought about for some new teachers you know when you say sort of the the, the social aspect of maybe moving to a new area maybe moving to uh you know a, a place that you're unfamiliar with as well as the pressures of of teaching and and learning to teach that is such a an, you know an incredible kind of extra benefit. well kudos to you for for you know, for for getting through it and everything, and I I wonder was was there any specific extra support for you 
um, during that? Was was there awareness maybe from uh, the training provider or from the schools that you work with that you were uh, also away from home in a sense? Um, there was an awareness of it, but there wasn't an awful lot people could do, I suppose, in the training end of things. I was very lucky that the school that I was placed in with Teach First because it was a high need school it is a very deprived area that I was placed in, which had a lot of need for teachers. There were also a lot of young people who had moved to the area to help teach in this school. So there were a lot of new faces, a lot of people wanting to socialize. So I think the weird social dynamic that we were in as young teachers, all starting at the same time in this new school that really needed us, having moved away from an area, having not seen people because of lockdowns, we kind of all gelled together very quickly and I formed some really strong friendships actually as a result with the other trainees at my school um, because of the pandemic but yeah the training providers themselves there wasn't a lot that they could really do to support I mean they offered um, some counselling if it was needed but it never really was it was just something that I I got on with and luckily I loved teaching so Yeah, no, definitely. And one of the questions I, I, you know, ask a little bit later on of both of you really is, you know, some of the research and I've pulled together some of it just for us to, you know, talk through and get your opinions on as people who lived it, you know, it's it's easy for me to, you know, as a, as a leader, maybe to, to pick up a report and it to give me, you know, advice on what to do to support, but to hear it kind of from the horse's mouth, I think is really important for people, especially our listeners sort of listening in and thinking about early career teachers and and really you you know you're not so much anymore you're taking on leadership roles you're moving up uh through your career and you might forget kind of how it all started um so i find that incredibly interesting and and particularly you you touched on there a little bit about um how would i word this this kind of trial by fire almost it made you stronger and and some of the research does sort of suggest that there were some positives to come out of it and we'll, and we'll get on to maybe thinking about the, the the positives and the negatives um a little bit later but i wanted to move on to, to, to michael if, if sort of the same question then i guess is what was your experience what did it feel like how did it affect you um at that point what was the impact of covid on your training yeah so i took a different route i um i used this i went by the skit route in so school centered initial teacher training which meant that the beginning of my training was university based and sort of gradually transitioned into more time in school. Um, so sort of an in-between really between the Teach First and um, university-based PGCE. And I think what I guess showed maybe that we trained in a different year and we had different points of the pandemic there. Um, the thing that I found was really the opposite that I really struggled to make connections with the other people I was training with. And we had a really large cohort of language teachers training together and I think we had one two sessions together and then we were told we can't meet anymore because we're going into schools we weren't allowed to meet in the university I'm really lost out on that time together um, and sort of talking with people going through the same thing Um, so I didn't really build those relationships Um, but yeah that's one of the main things I remember but I think then going into work, my one of my really vivid memories is my first mentor meeting as an ECT year one. I was very lucky to have an incredible mentor. And, um, you know, we sat down and talked and I basically said that I've never circulated in a room before. And theoretically, I get what circulating is. But my my initial teaching experience in a classroom is having a little black and yellow taped off area 
that I have to stand in and I'm not allowed to come out of this. And deputy head coming around with a two metre rod to make sure that all, all the desks are far enough apart and um, not being able to circulate is is, um, is is just a huge thing in terms of behaviour management, in terms of assessment, informative assessment. So, yeah, I feel like we've probably lost out on some of the what people would consider basics and going into my first week in my own, I, I didn't really know how to circulate around. No, I want to ask, uh, uh, Michael, I'll ask it to you first. And then, I, you know, I didn't think to, to ask this of, of Joanne, but your experience before uh, going into teacher training, had you had you been a teaching assistant or was it purely just sort of longer before your time in school yourself of, of that experience of what teaching was? I mean, I grew up in a teaching household. Um, so as I'm sure many teachers do, uh, that's um, a uh, well, he's actually a, a head teacher of an SEMH school so I think that's probably somewhat similar to what you do mum was a teacher fell out of love with teaching moved out of teaching and has worked with the council for a while so I, my background is mostly from my family and spent a lot of time talking to my dad learning from him about that um, but I was working in insurance before that so I, I came in from working from home during a pandemic and being sat on my own, just me and my wife in the house for days on end, going into a school. Um, I don't know, I've actually felt that it was great. To go. Yeah, I mean, you know, it must be such, you know, I can't even, because for me, it was a return to normal. For, for you guys, I guess it, it was a return. A, 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 something entirely fresh and so jo joanne i want to ask of you when it did when we did kind of get that right things are you know when bubbles had gone i guess when we did get back into the classroom did it feel like a return to something or did it feel like a, a fresh new challenge um for me it was a, a fresh new challenge um i have to say I, I went straight from university to teach first i finished my master's in theology and I, I thought that I had wanted to teach for a while. I, I guess the only time I'd been in schools was I used to work as an interfaith worker in Edinburgh. And so I would go into schools to do some talks on Islamophobia. That's the closest that I got to teaching. But at no stage did I have to circulate a room, mark books, take questions, um, <laughs> deal with safeguarding. So it was it was all it was all brand new to me. Um, and yeah it was it was a, a crazy shift um as well i tell you what though it's been really good uh because i would never have had the push to get good with technology <laughs> until the pandemic because so much just suddenly was and my degree wasn't very tech based um and so i was thrown into teaching and thrown into tech at the same time uh or at least thrown into being able to be fairly proficient with technology <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, as I say, we, you know, we'll go through some of the the advice that we should be thinking about for for people like yourselves, you know, a little bit later on. But one of the one of the things they come out there, you know, when we, we get on to talking about pros and cons is, you know, one of the pros maybe was, you know, we have a generation of uh, teachers who are coming through who trained in a highly, you know, in teams, having teams meetings, having online learning, all of these things were positive through. Um, and one of the things that was a negative, though, and, and, and you know, uh, Michael's kind of mentioned this already about that kind of circulating around the room was things about um, emotional well-being, you know, particularly pastoral, 
I would call that work, and and the learning environment as well. And I wonder, uh, during your training, Michael, was, was, was there anything that you noticed that you were learning uh, maybe through through your course or maybe through the very start of your, your your ECT years where you were having to learn something purely theoretical that maybe you felt or, or possibly people would feel should, you know, is better done in person. Like you say, you know, someone could show me, could talk me through on a Zoom call how to circulate the room, but it's not quite the same as doing it. Did it feel like something forced? Um, I think the thing that really I think of is mini whiteboards, which are an incredible tool, but we we talked about them theoretically and then we were told, I'd love to hand out some whiteboards and pens to everyone, but I can't. And how do you explain how to use mini whiteboards and model using mini whiteboards without mini whiteboards? So that was, I mean, that's a slightly bizarre situation. Um, I don't know if that kind of... Yeah, no, no, definitely. You know, it's those kind of things. And I, it's it's things that I hadn't, you know, and I think this conversation is really important for people, particularly um, school leaders, you know, who maybe think there are things that were drilled into me, you know, uh, through my teacher training. And I was primary trained initially. And so having uh, young children sat on the carpet, you know, when I was down in the early stages, um, doing the, the, the register, going through and checking book bags, and things like this that I I reflect on as being ingrained in me from day one, uh, you know, checking book bags for notes. Whereas I imagine for some people uh, who trained during, during uh, the pandemic times, th- th- this has not been ingrained in the same way. Maybe they were ingrained into Zoom calls and, you know, online learning and such like. Now, Joanne, how do you feel about your, your training and the bits that you could learn remotely or could uh, teaching criteria that you could learn remotely and bits that maybe you really you know missed out on being in the classroom to do um i i think i had the same experience as michael with the mini whiteboards being taught to use them over zoom without a mini whiteboard um was very interesting but the one that the ones that really stick with me is behavior management um like how to have restorative conversations how to talk um, some heightened students down um, from a dangerous situation because the school that I'm in I love it I love it to death I don't want to work in uh, schools that are too much different <laughs> but uh, we have our challenges um, and we have students with very high need and going into that school as a trainee teacher in which there are incidences of students being quite aggressive um, and having to being a new face and having only spoken to people over zoom for maybe the best part of a year in general in my life because of lockdowns and then being faced with students who have this need and knowing what to say and knowing how to respond that was really difficult um i'm trying to think what else oh yes room marking it's really hard to explain to someone who's done online learning where you can click on a couple of buttons and immediately it pulls up the student's screen, what they're typing, what they've done. You can see exactly what you need to. You can quickly search through the Word document by words, like to see where they're at and to see if they've included key information. Whereas looking at a book with written work in it, at student's handwriting and knowing what to look for and how to mark effectively, that was my steepest learning curve, I think, when it came to being in the classroom. Um, because how do you explain to someone how to do that? without examples of student work and and over a screen 
Yeah, you know, the, the the more you guys talk about it... Sorry, Michael, you are going to say something? Yeah, can I just throw into that corridors as well? Um, when you were talking about behaviour management there, I, I just thought corridors, when I trained, it was one direction. It was single file. It was staggered. It was ordered. Everyone had a sort of five-minute overlap between lessons. And then I, I got to the school where I'm teaching and the pips go and it's absolute carnage outside. And I, had to, I thought, oh my goodness, I've never dealt with a corridor before. I've never dealt with a fight before. And um, sort of starting from scratch, I think that's probably become one of my my strengths as a teacher, but it was all because it was brand new. And then maybe just a language specific one as well. We have a lot of pronunciation. How do you form the phonics of the French language? It's very different to English. You have to watch each other's mouths and I'll need to watch their mouths that's really difficult with face masks. So it's, uh, yeah, some things I, I, I very happily have gone. I, no face masks is much easier. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. You know, I, I, I think there's another thing there. And maybe, you know, when we pull through a bit, you, I, I've not seen it subject specific broken down about that support and the, and the lag of how, because I imagine there are some subjects like art, you know, like languages, as you mentioned in that case, where there will have been a bigger impact i imagine you know and this might be my uh you know my poor knowledge of teaching maths maybe at secondary level but i imagine maths was probably i feel like that was a bit easier to translate to remote learning something like music something like art and the example you gave of languages there i I think there will have been bits that subject specific became a lot harder now i just want to say um that we are brought to you tonight by Adapt. Uh, teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where Adapt come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes Adapt different? We're always apolitical and independent, Specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. Moving back to our uh, uh, our conversation, I think um, I wanted um, for us to look at a specific piece of research. Really, it comes from the Policy Institute and King's College London. Uh, its title is Understanding and Mitigating the Impact of COVID-19 Disruption on Trainee and Early Career Teachers in Secondary uh, schools. Um, so we're focusing mainly here on on secondary schools as they were, but I, you know we're going to try and translate this broadly to to the rest of the profession as well. And I'm hoping we can run through and just talk about some of these sort of key findings and the positives and negatives. Now, but before we do, I, I you know I'd, I'd like to think, and we'll start with Joanne here. Um, do you think you know we can compare to me? I'm very honest about the things I'm good at and I'm bad at. My training, though, was by by all accounts average and pre-pandemic and boring. And I just did a general PGCE, uh, you know, where I was I was in class, I was in le- uh, free placements. I did some time in uni lectures with 
loads of other people around me, some some some, some courses. Um, I maybe learned a bit of PowerPoint, how to use an interactive whiteboard, or, you know, nothing too modern, I'm afraid. It was a while ago. But it didn't prepare me for modern, modern teaching, certainly not this pandemic. So, Joanne, was there things that happened through your training that you think set you up better than what I got and some things where you weren't set up as well? Oh, now you've asked me. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest, I feel pretty sceptical of Teach First teacher training. Um, I, I think that it was really great in building resilience and um, that's been really useful for me in um, a tough behavioural school setting which I'm in. Um, but I'll, I'll be honest, the, the training that I received, I don't know whether it was just because we were doing or training on top of full-time teaching and the cognitive overload that comes with that. But I feel like I learned the majority of stuff from my school, my mentors, the people around me, other teachers in my school than I did than I ever did through my training provider. Um, and actually, when I was writing my my coursework pieces for my PGDE, I actually wrote that um, and they liked it enough that they, they gave me a distinction for it. But, you know. I, I really do think that the training that I received, that we received, because it was so new, the situation of having to teach people to teach online while people are still trying to figure out how to teach online themselves, it was experimental. And I think the training that I received was, it really did reflect that. Um, I, I learned a lot theoretically about pedagogy. And I have to say, on the philosoph philosophical side of things, I learned a lot about teaching, but um, I can't say that I actually ever remember anything taught to me through Teach First. Um, but I can, I can confidently say that my mentor has taught me lots that I still use today and my colleagues lots that I still use today and really value their, their advice and their wisdom. No, I find that so interesting as a as a thing because my 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 initial sort of response to to thinking of things that people could have done would be that you know you you guys would have been hammered on theory much more than I was. I, I was in the classroom and I was learning and, and teaching was a, a practical thing that I, I learned from my school based mentors uh, and through doing. And I I kind of thought, oh, you know, during at least they'll get more theory than I got. At least they'll get more. Uh, pedagogical content and, and and kind of research and all of those things. Um, uh, well, let's hear Michael's experience then and see see if there's any sort of similarities or difference. Uh, Michael, do you think then through your training, you know, you suggested that maybe behaviour management, you, the, the two of you have talked a bit, maybe that, that that was weaker, you came out weaker than the average possibly then? Were there things you came out stronger or weaker than you think because of lockdown? Um, yeah, in terms of behaviour management, I don't, yeah, I think I probably did come out weaker. That's what I was told in my first job interview. <laughs> so that's probably a very fair <laughs> comment there. Um, no, I think the same um, as Joanne just said, I just learned so much from my my first mentor. And, you know, teaching is a practical thing. It, you can't learn everything theoretically and you have to be in the school and teaching and um, my first mentor, as I've said probably three times already, was incredible and taught more than I ever learned in that first year. If I could answer when you say, were there some benefits? Where do I think I actually came out maybe better? 
um, the school I was in, I was just able to say yes to everything. So I could do an extracurricular. I took on a table tennis club. I can't play table tennis, but they just needed people. They, everything was so spread out where a PE teacher would have supervised three clubs at once um, or sort of three sets of students at once. They couldn't do that. So I got to do extra things like that, extra lunch duties. They had extra staff on those lunch duties to manage queues. Um, so there were a couple of things that I threw myself into as well. Uh, started doing a few German lessons as well in my first placement school, um, which took me a long way back to my German A-level. And I think just the fact that I tried a lot of things was really good. Um, perhaps as well, on the theory side, I did a lot of research into teaching language to children uh, with ASD. And I think I just had more time to spend on that because I wasn't in school and I did have Unfortunately, I got pinged and I had two weeks off of being in school. So I, I just had that time to really invest in, in that uh, essay. So, yeah, perhaps to support your theory that I got more um, time in there. It's not that I had more time for the theoretical batch. I had more time to devote myself to actually. It's, it's really interesting there that you talk because, yeah, I, I completely overlooked how short staffed and how we were kind of putting our hats and doing everything. And certainly maybe it there wasn't so much of lost opportunities. Maybe, you know, people uh, experienced what you experienced and it. You know, because we were short, people were asked to turn their hand to a lot of different things or maybe it opened up these opportunities to do different things. Now, I'm, I'm going to go through, as I say, that, you know, this understanding and mitigating the impact of COVID-19 disruption on trainee teachers and early career teachers um, from uh, the Policy Institute and King's College London. Now, the first one, what I'll do is there's some key findings that we go through, and I think we have 12 key findings here. What I want to do is I want to sort of read out the key finding, throw it out to you, and and, and see if actually uh, this reflects you're kind of my my, my my test group here. They say this is what's happened. Oh, we're going to reflect it with some real teachers who went through it. So this is the first of the findings that that they believe from their research, this this is what um, you, you should have found. So their, their key fat finding, uh, number one, was ECTs have reported some positive impacts of training during the pandemic, such as use of IT to support teaching and learning, heightened sense of professional community, and staff also noted resilience of trainees and ECTs during the period. Now, we've already mentioned a little bit about IT, We've, we've already mentioned a, a little bit about resilience. The, the bit I want to focus on there just just for a second, but you feel free to talk around the whole, the whole point there, is, Joanne, a, a heightened sense of professional community. Is, is that something you noticed? Um, to an extent within the training network that I was in, yes. Um, my community was especially essential for me uh, because I moved somewhere where I didn't know anywhere. One had no family, had no friends there. Um, so yes, a very quickly formed a very strong community of, or find myself part of a very strong and supportive community of teachers um, at all different stages. Teachers who had trained with Teach First, with ATT, which is an ARC teacher training, um, program people that were in my year the year above and then in my second year of teaching the year below and i certainly find that um but i have to say in my school context people have reported i mean now i'm union rep so i i hear these things 
there's actually less of a sense of community within the school because people had got used to bubbling and being just in their classroom and people have steered away from being in the staff room and helping each other plan and co-planning with different departments and going about and giving each other a hand uh, with various different things and exchanging seating plans. People don't do that anymore. Um, and so there is sort of a, a loss, which is reflective of, I mean, look around us, how, how much less social are people in general as a result of the pandemic? There's a, a bunch of us, and I have to say myself included for a little bit, who became quite agoraphobic. Um, and I think, you know, among trainees, there's certainly a strong community. Among teachers, I, would, I wouldn't say that there really is. Um, I mean, I, I've kind of thrown myself into um, you know, different communities in face, uh, in Facebook groups and LinkedIn, that sort of thing to get to know other teachers. But I, I know that in person, I certainly haven't found that to be the case. Um, and Michael, you might be uh, maybe a, a, a different perspective on this because obviously, uh, like myself, I, I'm from a teaching family, unfortunately, both parents and my, my, my sister, all teachers. Um, do, did you get a sense that the community of teachers was pulling together or fragmenting? There's a very good question. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like at the beginning of the training, I'm very sorry, it's dog feeding time. So you're going to hear some okay. in the background. Um, you might hear some loud barks from the other one. Um, yeah, uh, at the beginning, it was, the, I remember the staff in my first school, which was really super strict on all the roles every every second and third seat in the staff room had this red, uh, black and yellow tape over it so when you went down to the staff room it was i mean there was no one there you just couldn't fit more than about 20 staff in this huge staff room and it was a school where you know they had it was a, it was a very nice school and lots of facilities lots of offices so teachers really were shut away and had their own classrooms so you didn't really see them um second school i was in then it wasn't it's was a tiny staff room in an old nunnery so everyone just kind of kept away and just went outside and things and so i don't i don't really feel like i met many teachers while i was training moving into my actual job i, I guess i feel more of that connection but is that just after sort of two three years of having so little adult company i've just felt happy to be around actual adults again I don't, I don't know if um, it's hard for me to compare this to pre-pandemic. I don't know if they were closer then, but certainly during that training time, yeah, I found it was quite difficult to connect with other more experienced teachers and the people who would brave the uh, tape job staff rooms would really be the us um, EC or BTs as you were um, who hadn't yet got a classroom. No, thank you for for you know reflecting on that. And uh, the one of the other parts within this comment, which you know we have mentioned a little bit about the resilience of trainees, and I I really you know, and this is from a personal point of view, dislike the idea that you have to go through something hard to prove to make you resilient. Or to, you know, this kind of trial by fire idea. At the start of my career, back when it was NQTs, and I went through that, there still very much was this idea that you you had to struggle because you had to learn because teaching was hard and all of those things. And I want to, you know, they talk about this resilience here. But I want to throw in a quote from uh, education support, the, the the mental health support for for teachers, um, which looking at a 2021 teacher wellbeing 
index, they found that early career teachers at the time struggled with panic attacks, changed to appetite, tearfulness, mood swings. Three quarters of teachers, 74%, thought that their initial teacher training course did not prepare them to manage their own well-being. Um, I guess my question is, do did do you think it made you resilient or did you were you just one of the lucky ones because it's schools week this week they've said you know the the numbers are out now 3000 trainees didn't make it i guess you know in that sense we could, we we should have found someone who who maybe didn't make it to reflect and it was twice as many uh, as uh, you know the pre-pandemic numbers um i guess I, I guess my question is, you know, to Joanne, was it being hard a good thing or, you know, were you just the lucky ones who survived it? I'm really glad you asked that just because I had a lot of friends and in, in my community in Hastings, um, half of them left my first year and I'm one of the few of my cohort left teaching in my third now like I'm one of maybe four and it was a large cohort of teachers we're talking like 20 teachers in my year started in my area teaching um I would say that um I was and wasn't one of the lucky ones teaching during the pandemic broke me and formed me in its own image I really wasn't prepared for the well-being aspect of it um I wasn't prepared for the loneliness of it Teaching, you know, nobody can prepare you for the workload of teaching. No one can prepare you for the thanklessness of it sometimes and the highs and the lows. And when you're going into that straight from university, straight from virtual, and all of a sudden you're faced with all this and there's a lot of change. Um, I I definitely struggled. Um, and I'll be I'll be fully honest. I I was signed off at the end of my first year and I'm glad that I did because if I didn't get signed off for the last two weeks of term, I, I don't know if I would have been well enough to continue teaching my second. Um, it's a bit like what Mike was saying, or Michael, sorry, love, uh, was saying earlier uh, about how you kind of pick up lots of different things because there's so much need, there's so much opportunity, but more than opportunity, there is need. And it's because you're juggling so many things as well as training because people need you everywhere. And there's there was not enough staff and, you know, the workload was insane. What was being expected of us was insane. Um, and I wasn't I was not prepared at all for the mental toll that any of that would take and the mental toll of the pandemic as well on top of it. I don't know if I'd blame teacher training as much as I would, just a mixture of a pandemic, a change, a very stressful, very um, high workload job altogether just hit me like a ton of bricks and I'm thankful for it. I think it was a, a great opportunity and it's developed me a lot as a person. I wouldn't be who I am today had I not gone through it and lots of positive things have happened in my life as a result of it. But it is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and. I think it's probably the, the, the most tough and harrowing experience I've ever been through in my life was my, my teacher training. Now, um, Joanne, I, you know, because that's such a powerful um, reflection that you, 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 you shared with us there. And I, I want to ask, do, do you think that 
that changes you know you're you say you you know a union rep now and likely you know both you go on to be middle leaders have have trainees of your own supporting people coming through do you think that experience will change how you see the need to support new teachers newer than you teachers coming up that's certainly what i found um that's what drove me actually to become qualified as a mental health first theater in the first instance in my school um it's also what's making me at the minute push for more send and semh training for myself not just for to help me support other members of staff more effectively because i know that to be quite honest with you and, and if we were being brutally honest the mental health resources in place for teachers are crap they really are like they are bog standard and they are not good enough for the need of the teachers um, and for what actually can happen, the extremes of teaching. Um, yeah, for sure. It's, it's definitely influenced me. It's made me realize the importance of the pastoral role that I have, not just with other students, but with other trainees. And I really do hope in the next couple of years um, to take on trainees of my own and to help support them. Um, because I just, I am so thankful for the people that were there for me. And um, I will forever, forever be grateful to those more experienced um, members of staff that really were a shoulder to cry on um, and a real support um, when I was training. And yeah, that is why I took on the union rep role. Um, I, I kind of wanted to give that back because I, I've taken so much help from other colleagues in my first two years. I, I just wanted to be able to give it back. Um, and, and Michael, uh, you know, do you think your experiences of training and, and through that period have changed or, or impact on maybe because, you know, we can never know how we would have been had it not happened. Do you think that they still impact on um, how you treat, you know, when you see a, a student teacher coming through or, you know, a, a, a trainee maybe coming in, do you think it impacts on how you think of them and how you relate to them? Sorry, lost the mute button. Um, yeah, firstly, I, just, I think it's brilliant. That you asked me Michael, Michael, and I said Mike, and you both keep apologising for calling me Mike, which is amazing. I, I know. <laughs> Do you know what? Like, it's, be, it's What it is, is your username on the thing that I keep reading, and I go to say Mike, and then I look at your username, and it says Michael, and I go, I'll panic. Right, I'm oh, going to switch it. back to the other one. And then, uh, oh, yeah, terrible. Right, I'm going to make a conscious effort now. Mike, Mike. Do you know what? They're both my name, so I'm I'm not that bothered. It's <laughs> fine, don't worry. Um, yeah, so it's as I said, you know, I'm although I'm just out of ECT, I'm now two IC, and I'm in kind of in that bizarre position where I'm uh, as we've had new staff come in, we've got newer staff to the department, and yet I'm early on in my career. So although I'm not an experienced teacher, I'm one of the more experienced within the school, and we had our offset, and so a lot of staff moved after that. So I'm kind of that position of I'm not particularly experienced and yet I feel in some ways like one of the more experienced people within the school and it definitely you know I definitely think of the, of the teachers coming in at the moment what's the support I needed when I came in new to the school and what are the things that I I've had to go through like I said in those initial meetings I had to 
go through what's the point of circulating, why do we circulate, think about behaviour management. You know, um, again, with that circulating, like what's your position in the classroom was a big thing for me that might really come naturally to other teachers. And it's, um, yeah, something that I, I kind of came alongside some of those new teachers just to really make sure that they were, you know, they were hearing the things that I'd needed to hear when I started the training that for those more experienced mentors perhaps was second nature and they didn't think of saying um it's been really encouraging actually this year at the start of the year to hear a lot of those meetings and whole school training sessions to hear people saying things like and we know that this is the best place to be in a classroom and in this moment I'm doing this in the classroom and um I'm not saying that's me personally who's pushed that through but clearly enough conversations have been had around the school so actually there are some things that new trainees coming in may just may not have taught because of uh, may not have experienced because of the time they trained um so yeah i'm definitely more conscious of, of what they have and haven't experienced and, and how i come along well you know beautifully segueing me on to the next key finding um which we'll move on to which Purely is number two in the key findings you you've done you've done me a massive favor there because it segues us to um key finding number two which was for ects there's a disconnect between the need for personalized support in response to their varied training experience and prescribed content of induction uh, programs. So we're talking here about, you know, for, for ECT uh, year one and year two and some of those changes that have happened. I should say here in Wales, it's it, we, we are still at one year NQTs. And so it's a, a different experience again for some people. But I guess, Joanne, when you uh, started that, that part of your career, you know, post-qualification into your, your early career stages, still, you know, getting support and training, was there... Uh, a question and understanding that some people or, or that yourself maybe would have gaps or things that you hadn't experienced was it personalized enough do you think I'll, I'll have to say no not really um i did my ect1 with arcs ambition institute because i'm at an arc school and i trained i did my ect1 along with other arc trainees who were ect1 um, but they've got their QTS through a traditional PGCE route or through ARC, and they had a much lighter timetable than I did. Um, and I know that it's unusual with Teach First, learning to teach as you qualify. But by the time I was ECT1, I had a full year of full-time teaching underneath my belt already. So when I got into ECT1 and it was going over stuff like entrance routines and the importance of, um, you know, uh, behavior management and a lot of the stuff for me was re repeating what I'd learned three months into my first year of teaching of of my of my year where I, where I was unqualified um, and so I really um, and I've, I've spoken to other ECTs about this uh, they really found their ECT years kind of pointless I, I definitely found it useful the observations that I had in order to pass ECT one and I found them useful because being reflective and getting feedback on your teaching is always helpful, you know, for your practice as a teacher. But I didn't learn anything <laughs> from uh, my ECT1 that I didn't already know. Um, so fingers crossed ECT2 is a bit better, um, but I certainly didn't find that it was a very good 
Well, I, I, you know, I do wonder that I think the ECT framework, there's a whole, there's a whole nother topic and show on, on, on whether or not that will work and whether, you know, we're going to, going to see, you know, some changes to that soon, potentially, you know, there, there, there've been some news articles coming out. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes EDAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen Adapt to protect their careers. Subscribe at adapt.org.uk today. Adapt. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. RAC remains the top education story across many media outlets, with the BBC focusing on the impact the issue is having on universities across the UK. The news website refers to closures of lecture theatres, science labs and student unions. So far, 14 universities have told the BBC that they have closed or partially closed areas containing the reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete. Some lectures have had to be relocated and a small number of universities have had to find alternative accommodation for students, as halls of residence have also been affected. This has placed additional pressures on universities already facing housing shortages, with charity Unipol suggesting that student housing shortages are going to get worse in some cities. Student numbers are growing, but the number of new rooms is tumbling. This is largely due to high building costs, older buildings falling into disrepair, and now RAC concerns are adding to the issue. Last week, the DfE published the list of 147 schools in England built using the concrete. Six unions have now written to Education Secretary Gillian Keegan asking a series of urgent questions. The BBC says that Essex is the county in England with the most affected schools, with 25 closed, partly closed or making alternative arrangements. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has dismissed suggestions that he was at fault for the concrete crisis. During Prime Minister's question time, he said his government had acted decisively, whilst opposition leader Sakir Starmer referred to him as Captain Hindsight. In Wales, only two schools have so far been affected by RAC, but First Minister Mark Drakeford said inspections were ongoing. In Scotland, Humza Youssef has outlined his plans for the coming year, with a heavy focus on expanding childcare provision, saying it is the best way to support families. This plan includes the recruitment of a thousand more childminders by 2026. Free childcare hours are being extended to two-year-olds across the country. There will be a pilot of expanded care from nine months to the end of primary in six local authority areas, and free school meals for P6 and P7 pupils moves forward but those in receipt of the Scottish Child Payment will receive them first by 2024, with others following by 2026. Last week, Mr Yusuf also commented on the issue of banning single-use vapes, 
and link this to the comments made about young people using vapes too often. He stated that the government will consult on curbing the sale of disposable single-use vapes, including consulting on an outright ban. According to The Guardian, South Korean teachers have staged walkouts over harassment by parents and students. Thousands of staff attended a rally in Seoul demanding better protection after a number of teachers' suicides. Teachers are being increasingly vocal about their experiences of maltreatment, including being accused of child abuse after disciplining students. Around 15,000 teachers attended a rally last week and some schools had to temporarily close due to a lack of staff. As of June 2023, 100 school teachers had died by suicide in the country since 2018. The current education ministry blamed the current situation on previous governments, saying that they had overemphasised students' human rights over teachers' rights. Finally, The Guardian also reports that a city in Japan is tackling a rise in truancy with the help of robots. Two schools in Kumamoto have purchased mechanical assistance to help children regain confidence in dealing with teachers and their peers. It is hoped the robots will encourage children to attend classes remotely and eventually coax them back in person. The robots will be equipped with microphones, speakers and cameras. Students learning remotely will be connected to the robots via laptops, allowing them to attend and take part in discussions. The robots will not be confined to classrooms, but be free to roam so pupils can take part in other events and enjoy social times remotely too. Japan, like many countries, including the UK, is facing a rise in the number of pupils refusing to go to school since the pandemic. Could robots be the key to improvement? This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we've all returned to work and I'm going to discuss the old argument of digital or paper diary. For every argument for going digital, there's a counter argument for not and vice versa. You can access a digital diary from anywhere on any device, but if you don't have a signal, it's useless. A paper diary can't get hacked, but it can be picked up and read if left lying around. You get the point. I personally like a digital diary as it suits the way I work. I can add links to online meetings, add notes and attach documents. I can see my day, week, month, year at the click of a button. And the most useful thing for me is I get reminder notifications. One thing to consider if moving digital this year is policies on phones in your school, as this is the most likely way you'll access it on the move. And probably most importantly, if you're using your phone, Will you be able to resist the notifications from other apps or emails you see when you switch it on to use it? Cost doesn't really apply as a factor because you probably already have a phone capable of running a digital diary. But work-life balance may need to be considered as the diary is there 24-7. This can, however, be remedied by using Do Not Disturb settings for notifications. In the end, it's a personal choice. Are you paper or digital? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Um, but it came at a, a strange time as well. And, and Michael, what about what about yourself? The, the, the early career part, that ECT part, do you think that was tailored enough 
to your experiences training yeah it's nice sort of as me and joanne have had very different experiences we've kind of seen different sides of things up to this point in the conversation 100 percent agreeing with everything you're saying there joanne um yeah i mean for you being in the same school i know that people who trained in our school uh, in their bt year and then their ect years found exactly that um get off my floor sorry guys puppy um and no, that's fine <laughs> Let me grab a tutor. There we go. Um, for me, it was joining a new school. So there was some merit in some of the things we were doing in that ECT year one. But um, I know that the ones who trained in their training year before that said they were literally repeating things. And uh, I just, I understand why in a pandemic they're saying teachers need extra support. And I, and I get the idea behind the ECF is that... We, to, to ease the recruitment crisis, there needs to be extra support for teachers. And I think everyone agrees that's the right thing. But is an extra year of Zoom lectures what anybody asked for? And, you know, I think we complained enough um, as an ECT cohort that our, our school change provider. Um, so this current set of ECTs are doing a different um, different system to what we were doing with a different, uh, different university. And... Yeah, it all, I mean, it all comes down to the very basic of teaching. Oh, uh, Mike, I think we've lost you there. You might have just hit the, oh, are you back? Yeah, sorry, someone just called me. Um, <laughs> I'll have to go in a sec for a second. This is the wardrobe guy I mentioned earlier. <laughs> sorry. <for laughs> Not that. a problem uh, at it's all. It's all happening Listen, at once. Uh, no, I'll just finish, just finish that. Just say that, um, you know, we... We, we need that individual tailored support and that's what we do as teachers we give individual tailored support so then to see the teacher training become zoom lectures and adding an extra year of that it just does there seems to be a disconnect and i think as i really want to believe that there's great training available but sadly the best um piece of hope i can give joanne is that ect2 is a lot less taxing time wise than ect1 um so there's at least something positive and I'll, I'll stay on here, um, but I hope I've got a guy to see a wardrobe. So. No problem. L listen, Mike, yep, yeah, uh, we, we will hear from you again, I'm sure, before the end of the show. Um, but Joanne, we are going to together move on to the, the next part. And there's something really interesting. I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts on this in uh, finding free from the, the Policy Institute, understanding and mitigating the impact of COVID-19 disruption on early career teachers. And, and, and this one is about that teacher training experience during COVID-19 pandemic has resulted in reduced opportunities for pastoral practice, limited parental engagement, and reduced involvement with extracurricular activities. Now, we've talked a little bit about the pastoral support, and I know Mike has mentioned some of the extracurricular activities from that point of view, but I wonder, you know, I hadn't thought about parental engagement. I imagine there was opportunities to message them and or have Zoom calls and things, but was it uh well i don't you know you might not even have back in person parents evenings yet but what was it like for you then going back to meeting parents i guess face to face or or has that not even happened yet um i'll i'll be honest and say that i've i i did make an effort to try and meet as many parents as i could in person in my first year 
anyway, specifically students that I thought were struggling either academically or with behavioral expectations, we could have in-person meetings. I mean, granted, it would be distanced with masks um, and in a ventilated room, but I, I did see parent, as many as I could anyway in person, but I certainly found that even over the phone, parents were not engaging with the school. Um, they really saw school as like a separate realm in which they no longer had to engage, I suppose, because for them it was that they had been teaching their child during the real height of the lockdown downs where I wasn't a teacher yet at that stage. Um, the lockdowns were sort of winding down by the time I started. Um, and the engagement or trying to get a hold of parents in my first year was a, a trial. Um, and I think the biggest thing I find when meeting parents is um, the the time aspect of parents' evenings. I, I'd never really, because I could take a parents' evening from a laptop anywhere, whether that's in school, at, in, in the comfort of my living room, um, you know, to seeing them in person in a hall, staying at, to, at, at school till late at night. And I didn't really experience what that was like until my second year of teaching, that was, that was a unique experience. Um, and, and I guess that was the weird change, but yeah, I, I didn't find meeting the parents in person too bad. I think actually it declawed a lot of parents for me because I think it's very easy for people to be quite prickly over the phone or, or over email. Um, but once you meet them in person, it, it's, it can be a lot easier to work together to support the child. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to sound negative there at all, but I, I certainly find that with the highest need students, their parents maybe would be very skeptical over uh, teachers' feedback if they were struggling over phone versus in person. No, certainly, you know, uh, it sounds like we, you know, uh, maybe, uh, you know, have similar, um, you know, sort of uh, teaching uh, demographics. I guess might be the the, the best word, but and, and certainly, I would I would reflect on that as well. I think that the loss of the ability to sit down in a room with someone and, and and talk to them on a you know that interpersonal level was something that massively affected uh, what you know what what I did. And I, you know, I, sh I should say for the listeners, you know, but if you're if you're at my school, we still are having Zoom parents evenings. You know, it, we are not back to that massive way you, you lug down your books you put your little name card on it and all of these things that were so vividly part of teaching for me that 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 still isn't a thing where I teach anymore it, it's more efficient it's more effective maybe but there is a something that you lose there um, and, and it is interesting to think that actually you know maybe there are some teachers but particularly as you know as I say if you taught at my school um, trained there or, or, or you have worked there since the pandemic you will have not done a parents' evening in person, at, you know, at the school. It, it will not have been a thing. I want to move on to, you know, our, our fourth point um, of the findings here. Just, uh, you know, some of these we will whiz through quickly because we've accidentally covered them, you know, in our talking already. But, you know, number four point was well-being of ECTs impacted by the pressures of the early career framework exacerbated by varied training experiences and we've kind of talked about Joanne's experience with that and, and, and number five was 
um, schools have experienced time and resource limitations in providing mentoring for trainees and ECT induction simultaneously. Now, Joanne, you, you've talked very positively about school support and mentoring and, and, and how you, you, know, you feel that has supported you. Um, mentoring for me, when I was at NQT, maybe didn't exist in the same form that it does now with the same thought and the same, you know, it's more maybe haphazard, more um, uh, ad hoc. Um, do you feel that, you know, the advice here they say on mentoring is that they should work closely together, providing adequate time and space and, and all of those things. Are, are you a fan of mentoring then for early careers teachers? Um, I, I don't really know how useful it is once you're qualified. I will say that. Um, I think sometimes the hour every week could be as felt by both my my mentor and by me there will be a better use of time if we were co-planning or if we were cooperatively planning because my mentor just happens to be my head of department um it would be better spent doing that and sort of sharing resources and building resources together than it would be you know doing feedback on a, on a lesson because at the minute it's, it's the same sort of feedback, um, which is largely positive. Um, and there aren't that many areas for action anymore um, as there are, well, with actually my teaching practice as there is with my planning. And so having a mentor use that time in their timetable to go in and observe me when it'd be better spent sitting down with the hour meeting and just planning with me. I think that would be much better use of their time. Um, but that's just my own context. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things is they, they you know, saying here, this personalization of it, this, you know, this idea that we have all had different experiences is something that I think has been a long time coming um, in education. Uh, a person, you know, the, these one size fits all routes and expectations maybe aren't right. And maybe this is the time now when people have had such various experiences for us to say, actually, do you know what? Are we tailored enough? Now, I want to get on to the next point here just, just quickly, because as I say, some of these are small, some of them are big. Um, and the, the next point from their findings was that the growth and retention of ECTs um, benefits from the provision of formal and informal support, including through collaboration with professionals and ECTs in different uh, learning and social spaces. Now, one of the things that jumped out to me for this was, you know, this idea of um, support, school to school support, um, cluster meetings, as we used to call them at one point, um, all of those things that used to happen, uh, even teach meets and, and, and getting out to uh, conferences, all of that stopped. All of that, you know, disappeared or went online. And I was a massive fan of online, the, 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 the plethora of online resources, you know, things that happened and training that I was able to complete. And it was great. But th there was a loss of connection for me. Now, I don't know, Joanne, do you feel your your professional network maybe that's the right word for it suffered because you started teaching at the at the, uh, the time of a lockdown or a pandemic yeah i definitely do um everything from the moment i started was online all the because i'm an art and 
at an art school, a lot of these big arc meetings that would normally happen in London, allowing you to network with other arc teachers and trainees just didn't happen. I had my first and only in-person arc conference in London last year around the same time as, as sort of now that we're speaking. And it was, it was brilliant, like being able to sit across from colleagues and actually look at their resources with them and exchange notes and join WhatsApp groups and add each other to different Facebook groups and LinkedIn groups that we're part of. You know, there, it's really hard in the same way to network and socialize online. Um, and I think, you know, I, I particularly struggled with that as, as someone who's neurodivergent, you know, in-person socializing is actually much easier. I mean, socializing as a whole as a neurodivergent person is a bit more tricky, but socializing in person and networking in person is a lot easier to make those connections um, and make impressions and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, so certainly find that. Um, I definitely felt a lot. Um, yeah, I think I was so pleased at the time with, with this, the, these free training events that were happening on Zoom. And I was so enamored by that. And I, you know, I was so excited. And then it got to a point, you know, I, had, I guess all of us had that kind of fatigue of not being able to go out where, I, you know, I was missing not the training maybe, but the, the going to get a coffee at a training event. And and this is the things, you know, that, that used to happen. We used to be down at maybe the local Holiday Inn and there'd be a, a, a little kind of breakfast bar of croissants or something like that, you know, pastries. And actually some of those powerful conversations of meeting teachers from other schools or, you know, other, other areas. Um, and, and, that was so important to me in my in my formative years as a teacher that were gone for for some uh, young teachers and I really do think you know that, that I don't know I, I you know all credit to the, the 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 teachers who came through it I think because it's it's done you know we are still here and we still have a profession thanks to the new teachers coming in I want to move on to a couple of these I'm going to skip through them though because some of this does come out critical of the 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 ECT framework and, and and these next ones certainly do I think a little bit for me number seven of their findings was opportunities for reflection are not linked to assessment you know this is not a, a COVID issue for me uh, number eight um, ECT found ECT's found that engagement with research empowering uh, was empowering but have been frustrated by induction material being repetitive of their training well that that's something that Joanne has mentioned for us already but this next one number nine here um, the experience of training during COVID-19 pandemic has reduced opportunities for ECTs to work with a diverse range of students and you know I guess maybe they're talking about their different sets when we were in bubbles, maybe they're talking there about different placements and different types of schools. But Joanne, do you feel that you were, you know, you didn't get to work with the full range of students because of when you trained? I definitely feel that that, that that's a possibility. Um, I mean, from talking to 
because really my only point of contact was in my first year I lived with another trainee in my area who worked in a very, very different school context. In fact, she worked at the school um, where we often do our contrasting work experience. Um, my school being the behaviorally challenging school, her school being the, the very behaviorally rigorous and academic Catholic school. Um, and, you know, that was my only real reference for a different model of teaching is hearing her talk about work and then thinking to myself, God, is she even doing the same job as me? <laughs> um, you know, but because we didn't really have the same opportunity to go in, observe, you know, do placements early on in, in our career, my, my career, I, I didn't really get to teach a broad range of students. I mean, later on in my first year, I, I had a week where I did my contrasting school placement there. But, you know, even speaking to other people in other schools, you know, there's loads of experiences and different ways of teaching that I've never been exposed to. Because when you are in, in a department in a large school, which is bubbling all the time, um, you kind of get closed into the your own context and you don't really see outside of your school and the type of students that you're teaching. I, I know that my first two years, um, mostly the students I was teaching as well were um, SEND students, students in the low bands, the low sets who needed the most support um, in their learning to reach those passing grades. And um, yeah, I, I definitely found as a result of the limitations of of training during a pandemic that when I was training, I didn't get the full experience of what it was like um, to teach. I, I mean, I'm, I, I, hopefully <laughs> I'm saying this now that I teach all sets. I, I've, I've had much, m many more experiences now following my first year of teaching, but I still feel the loss of it, um, that other teachers had this ability to sort of have placements in a couple of different schools. Yeah, it's, you know, and it is so, for me, it's so different to how I learned and mine maybe was an informal training because I, I did my PGC, then, then worked supply for a year or two and then did my NQT year. But by so by the time I'd 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 got through my NQT year, I I'd I'd maybe worked in or had placements in, if that's the right word, if you're including the um the teacher the te the teacher training and and the supply work, maybe twenty to thirty different schools and contexts and year groups, and and I found that so I I find that whether whether I'm right or wrong, I think you know experiencing different things is a really positive thing for new teachers to, to see how things are done differently and I do wonder if that will be an ongoing legacy of of COVID is that we we maybe have seen less of uh different contexts because of just just how we are as I say I uh, I have visited I, I visited a school last year that, that wasn't my school uh the year before I didn't go to another school uh, but the years before that, before the pandemic, I was going to, you know, even as a static teacher, I was going to other schools just for a look around or to meet other senior leaders or to, you know, to look around. And and I don't know, do you get the opportunity now to go out and visit other schools, Joanne? 
no, not really. And I think my cover supervisor would crucify me if I asked. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I, you know, I wonder, I, it's, it's one of those things. I, I, I think it's getting back that way. I think maybe people are still a bit staffed tightly and all of those things, but it used to be a thing. It was a thing that you would, you know, be going out to each other's schools and having a look around and, and all of those things. Um, now, my, Mike's back with us. Um, uh, uh, Mike, we were just talking about, uh, you know, experience of other schools and, and getting out there and whether one, one of the statements here is um, that that maybe uh, ECTs haven't had the opportunity to work with a diverse range of students in, in different settings. Um, how do you feel about, you know, where you are at the moment? Did you have that opportunity so far to see how things could be done differently at other schools and in with different students? Oh, I'm just going to check. Maybe Mike isn't back with us. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe there's a connection problem there, but we, we'll save that question and maybe come back to it if we can just uh, click in. Um, we will see. Um, but um, we, we are, you know, rapidly getting through these. As I say, we're on to number uh, 10 of 12, which means our timing's just about hitting right here, Joanne. You're keeping me on track. Sometimes I waffle. You're keeping me on track and we're getting through these. Um, but number 10 um, is that the experience of training during the COVID pandemic has served to broaden perspectives that has led to innovative practice. Um, and so, I mean, it's a hard thing to judge. Are we more innovative now than we were? Uh, I'm just going to check if Mike is back with us. Mike, can you hear me? I can hear you. I've heard you all along. How's that? Oh, fantastic. No, that's oh, wonderful. wonderful. Uh, good to have you back. Um, now, you. we were just talking about um, experience, and one of the, the statements earlier on, number nine, was about um, there was a lack of reduced opportunities for ECTs to work with a diverse range of students. Yeah. Is that something that reflects in your experience? Um, I mean, it's, I don't know. I would say that I have, I was possibly restricted by where I was training in that I was training in the nice part of North Yorkshire. So perhaps the lack of diversity in the area I was training limited me more than the lack of opportunities I was given. But one of the things certainly I missed out on was uh, the primary school visit, which I didn't do. So it has been a long number of years, uh, 20 years since I've been in a primary school. So um, yeah, I would certainly say I lost out on that opportunity. I did get to work with different groups, um, high ability, low ability, and SEN, and uh, different year groups, sick form as well, was something I really pushed to make sure that I did get some involvement with. But I, I, for me, it's mainly the primary that I missed out. No, I wonder, that, like, you know, obviously, I think it's an incredible, you know, for secondary school teachers to work in primary, I think equally primary school teachers need to be gaining some experience in secondary. Is it something that's that's ever been mentioned or brought up that you should, you know, even by yourself, do you think that it's something you might get the chance to do? Does it feel like a deficit? Or does it feel like you're missing the cherry on the cake? I guess I'm asking. Uh, I think it's really important to understand where kids come in. So um, maybe language is in a really unique position in this. And I'm sure I'll have people screaming at their podcast, whatever it is, their phone or their radio or whatever, saying that it's not true in their subject too. But I'm trying to think of another subject where, like languages, you have to assume absolutely zero prior experience when you start in year seven. Um, for example, PE. 
children have done sport before, English maths, of course, they've done it before, art, they have done some art before. Um, perhaps uh, maybe Joanne's thinks, thinking that would be her right now, um, how much uh, RERS have they done before. Um, but for me, I hadn't really come across as a question until we were very lucky to have the amazing Rachel Hawks at our um, sort of federation-wide inset day. And it would have been really good to have seen some primary French or, or even another language to see what position these year sevens are coming in at. Because it, for me, it was a bit of a, a bit of a shock. They've never studied French before, and in five years' time, they're expected to get a, a GCSE, and that's that's a lot. And it's a really, it's you know, even those who have done French before at primary is it's not often taught by subject specialists, and I'm mis uh, correcting misconceptions. Yeah, I, you know, I should probably say that's me. I, I was probably doing that. I'm, I'm probably the scourge of of, of secondary school well, French teachers in, bon, in in the area I, I taught. Bonjour, I taught hello. Bon yeah. Don't bother about teaching bon après-midi. It doesn't exist. I, I, you know, I, I, I did my best, but, you know, someone has to cover PPA. And when it comes to PPA, that's a whole nother show when we talk about why people are giving uh, PPA teachers the subjects that are hardest to teach, maybe. But yeah, I apologise. That probably was me teaching the French all wrong. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, Specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. Um, we did, you know, slightly move on and then we took a step back to one of the other points here, which is number 10. And it does come up through a lot is that you, the two of you are a generation of teachers who are more innovative now because of your experiences training. Unlike the the old caged teachers like myself, you know, bound to our ways that things always were, because you joined at a time where everything was in flux, you are allegedly, according to some of the research, more innovative and starting to do things differently. Joanne, do, do you feel like that? Does that describe you? Do you feel like you have been freed a little bit to be more innovative because of when you've joined teaching? Not initially, uh, no. I, I was kept in a very short leash for that reason that I, I was trained differently. And so um, when I went into actual in-person teaching, it was a case of you're going to teach the way that we tell you to teach because this is the way that we know that it works and for now we don't want you messing with things before you know the basics um now that i'm qualified and established at my school yes i have definitely found that um like the fact that a, a lot of the teachers that have started in are, are bringing in new innovations and in how to teach and how to plan and how to do assessments um like do it using a lot more automatically assessed 
um, learning platforms like Seneca um, for you know, regular assessments and tests and homeworks to reduce mark load, um, using AI to help us plan, let, write lesson plans and MTPs that we then alter, um, coming up with new behavior systems, which aren't so much based on the typical behaviorist sanction, sanction reward, and more based on mutual respect and strong relationships with the pupils um you know especially those pupils that really felt um isolated as a result of the pandemic yes i i, I do think that training during the pandemic has made me and the other teachers in my cohort innovators um for sure um and, and michael uh, sorry mike oh i keep doing it and reading <laughs> off the right, screen but like, it's gonna be back and forth back and forth um what about yourself? Do you feel um, that that the generation of teachers coming through, because everything was up in the air and we were, you know, the whole of the teaching profession was inventing it as we went along. Has that become part of who you are as a teacher? Um, I wonder if it's OK to be super teacher and turn that back on you. Yeah, as, yeah a, by all means. <laughs> as a new teacher, yes, I like to think I've been innovative and I, I taught maths my first term and I've been able to take some of those things from maths which worked brilliantly to a very different sub di different skilled teaching subject and languages and um, so I think I have been able to be innovative and I'm very supported by my department and they allowed me to do that and went along with it um but I wonder as a, as a more experienced teacher do you feel that you became more innovative over the pandemic as well well do you know what I I I, I struggle to 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 separate out whether it's a new teacher thing, that you just new teachers come into it with a passion and they bring new things. And there's a couple of our last points that we'll get onto that I think are really important for this. Um, and you bring new things and you challenge the, the authority somewhat of let's try something different and you bring that energy. So I, I, I struggle with the idea of is that a just a new passionate teacher thing, bringing something new to the profession, or is it because of the pandemic? Me personally, I'm far quicker to, you know, burn stuff and uh, get rid of uh, anything that isn't isn't going to work. I'm I'm far less tolerant of things, and I'm far more uh, certainly far more open. I think to some of the, you know, I don't want to say corner cutting, but there are some things we did because you did them. And an example I would give would be, you know, going to a meeting. Now it's completely fine. For people like if there's a meeting you had to be there in person it's really normal now for people to just be like oh yeah i can't make it but i'll, I'll be on zoom or i'll be on another platform sorry that you know other video conferencing apps are available that's really really normal now uh, and all of those things and so i think maybe we have just uh just become a bit more uh open to to, to trying something a little different just because not doing something always because we always did it that way uh, and so yeah I do think there is a little more just in the profession generally you know uh, the reason I like talking to new teachers is because they always bring something which transfers us on right we're going to come back to point 11 in a minute uh, point 12 though was uh, uh, that they found about teachers who trained through COVID was the experience and skills gained from previous careers outside teaching proved beneficial to ECTs in the context of 
pandemic-related uncertainty and their ongoing professional development. And they said that greater recognition should be given to the role of transferable skills and experienced than we'd thought before. And, and Joanne, do you think, you know, is this a case now where actually we need to accept that people are bringing things with them? You're not a teacher at the start, a blank slate that we fill up. We need to recognise what you had before you became a teacher. I definitely think so. I think my my previous careers as a youth worker and um, as someone who did a lot of the tech stuff behind an interfaith organisation and a lot of the in-school stuff, that, that's shaped how I teach religious studies. Um, it really, really has. And the kind of teacher that I am, um, sort of the affectionately known as soft teacher that manages to to corral the toughest students because I know how to actually go in and form relationships with people that don't share the same views as me and um, I know how to do you know how to adaptively use tech to do a, a range of different things like I, I definitely found that when I started teaching I wasn't just a teacher I was taking with me the experience that I had from my other roles which formed me into the teacher that I, I, I became, that I am. Um, and I do think there is something to be said of that. Like I know that my colleague, one of my previous colleagues, John Gibson, he actually worked in a call center um, before teaching and was very tech-based. And the tech-based innovations that he had come up with to save staff workload in the school were just fantastic. He also trained during the pandemic. I don't know if I mentioned that, probably did. Um, it's a Thursday. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I do think that. I do think that your previous careers do have an impact on the kind of teacher you become, especially post-COVID when your training wasn't so much training as it was the suggestion that here you go, try and teach. Yeah. Um, Mike, what about yourself? Do you think, uh, you know, that we need to recognise the, the transferable skills that, that you brought with you into teaching and, and that maybe at the start that 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 wasn't something that was being recognised. Um, I, I mean, I certainly think that for me, I've been recognised in the role I am at the moment um, as uh, because of the career I've had in insurance. For us, it's really a case of we need to create a spreadsheet to track all the data from whatever. My, can you create a spreadsheet? I'm happy to do that. It takes me ten seconds and it will be far more complex than anyone else in the department wants, and then I have to simplify it so that they can use it. But that's fine. I can make these spreadsheets do different things with the new GCSE. I started to analyse vocabulary occurrence within our curriculum and stuff, and I just spent a, you know a day over my half-term just having fun with spreadsheets. So, yeah, there's, of course, there's skills that we bring from previous careers. I think during my training year, that wasn't really acknowledged at all. And I came in sort of as a as a beginner teacher, and I was sort of thought of as a beginner teacher, despite the fact that, you know I'm five years older than my mentor and have experience living you know, across the world doing a variety of different things. And and it's it's in this school where I am now where people have seen that and and not just seen me as a beginner teacher, but someone who's had a career and been successful as other things. That's that's really fed into the way that I've developed and been trusted to do certain things because you know, they know I'm I'm going to be able to bring pull through on that mm. so yeah we, I... yeah we have to we have to understand that when I think the more you trust people and what they've done in previous careers the better you get 
Yeah, you know, I think that's something that I, I definitely take away from this report is that, you know, maybe there was a time where we uh, didn't recognise that. And I guess maybe with the increase, if we are ever to get back to enough recruiting a lot more teachers, we need to start recognising those things. But I wanted to save time for point 11 on this, which is a really, again, a hard one to judge because who are we comparing to? But they suggest from the findings that due to training through a pandemic the experience of training during COVID-19 pandemic was positive in terms of social justice and equity with a collective spirit emerging across teaching staff irrespective of position and years of service. Um, A couple of things kind of slammed together in that one it feels but social justice and equity uh, those things that come through. Joanne do you think what you experienced in the pandemic or what you saw as a teacher sort of training during the pandemic has changed your attitude towards, uh, you know, topics such as equity and, and, and social justice. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you asked as an RS teacher, I feel quite passionately about those subjects anyway, but certainly following COVID. Yes, absolutely. Um, I've definitely felt radicalized is not the right word but um certainly stronger in my opinions and the view uh, on how you know state school students have been massively disadvantaged by the pandemic and it really shows the gap in provision between state school students my working class students who are from one of the most deprived areas in the uk versus students who come from much more privilege um and certainly i felt much more passionately at and really that passion has went into my career of really you know seeing students coming into school and um you know over the pandemic they might not have had a book in the entire house or their parents can't read or they didn't have access to a laptop and they genuinely had no learning they have lost out in two years of learning and they've landed in my classroom and um i have to not just be an rs teacher but a basic literature teacher and um kind of a maths teacher as well to try and catch them up to where they would normally be and I definitely feel like that experience of seeing how it's affected kids not just me but the, the students the way that it's impacted them emotionally and in terms of their education how far it set them back I've definitely felt a lot stronger in my opinions about um, social justice and equity because I don't think I think the pandemic has shown once and for all it does not exist between working class students and private school students in this country. And we really do need to be doing a lot more to help with the teacher retention crisis and with recruitment of teachers to really do anything to, to plug that gap. And I, you know, I when I think back, and it, you know, again, it seems as you you know said earlier, you know, it seems like a hundred years ago, but I was, you know, taking food parcels out, boxing up, uh, food for people who were were, were struggling, um, and, and I, I I don't know it. You know whether that changed for us as a profession, whether it changed because of the new teachers coming through. But Michael, what are your thoughts on on that aspect of the 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 pandemic and as it lingers on? Yeah, I mean, as I said, I trained in a really nice, leafy, suburby, beautiful part of North Yorkshire incredibly privileged and uh, and I remember one of the things that I heard just it was a throwaway comment that I didn't think about until I ended up in southeast London facing kids who 
um, had lost all the value in education and didn't see why should they be doing it? Who were we to come onto their estate after two years of not being there? And um, what this, this teacher set up in North Yorkshire, you know, there's this really, we've done everything we can during the pandemic. We've made everything online. There's no excuse. And I, sort of, and I was talking my first week in this new school and uh, our home liaison officer said, you know, mum's got six children and one device. So they get to log on to one lesson each a day if mum's got enough data. And like that's it's really seeing that stark difference in the education between two state schools between two very average schools for that area has just made me think all the more that, you know, we need to make sure the best we're teaching the best that we can and uh, yeah i do i do feel like i was probably quite a strong advocate and quite a strong quite strong interest in social justice but perhaps more than anything it's confronted me as someone who's middle class and grew up with as you'd expect two teacher parents with a high value in education that that is not everyone's experience and that it you know it's they yeah, there are children who deserve a great education who don't care for one. And it's made me even stronger that I'm going to get them that education, whether they want it. You know, it's, it's, yeah, you know, it's, I, as I say, such a, such a, a powerful time and, and, and something that certainly I think has affected a lot of teachers deep down, really. There's, the, the, you know, a change there in what they saw and what, what affected them. Now, I want to swing because we are re rapidly reaching the end of our show. If you do want to hear more in your listening live, you can, of course, head over to Twitter or X spaces where um, Education Tonight will be starting with Brent Poland and Adam Spence very shortly over there, 7.30. Um, but I wanted just to kind of top with this idea. You know, we now are designing teacher training for post-pandemic world and there should be things possibly that we keep from the the pandemic period and things that we we don't but if I go to each of you in turn and we'll start with Joanne what would be one thing that you think actually I, I would keep this from pandemic training and what would be one thing that you would hope never again should we try this I'll be honest, scrap the lot, <laughs> um, scrap the lot, start from scratch, burn the rest. Um, and I, I, I do think I really would like to see in, in the future post pandemic teaching is teaching new train, new teacher trainees, how to manage their workload, how to manage their well being, how to do this effectively using new tools like AI and how to use technology and different software and different platforms to help them with the workload of teaching because that is going to be the biggest hurdle to them and has been to many of my colleagues in their first year of teaching that they weren't prepared brilliant answer but it does put michael on the spot because you're going to have to come up with something good you know there must have been can we find something good that came out of covid uh, pandemic teacher training that we we might just keep that one little thing are you ready for a long interesting bit of radio silence uh while i think <laughs> uh what was great about training I, I, sometimes the things that are great are the things that you missed and that's you know we'd say that we missed a lot and actually when you were talking earlier about being really quick to rip things up and start again, actually there are things about some traditional training that's really important. Like I said, I missed out on being in primary. I would love to have done that. Um, Joanne, if I can slightly read into what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, you didn't 
get your two contrasting placements properly. And actually there's a huge benefit in that. I went to two very different schools within a similar context, but saw enough difference that I knew when I was applying for jobs, what kind of school I was looking for. Um, so maybe it's not the changes that we made during the pandemic, but there are a couple of things that really did work. Um, and perhaps we moved to a sort of new ECF and everything. The emphasis on mentors, which I, I know what you're saying earlier, but I, th I think mentors are really important. But um, perhaps the next thing to consider is what is the workload on a mentor? If you're already short staffed, how are mentors getting their protected time on their timetable? So, so are we considering mentor workload? Fantastic. And, and two great answers. Now, thank you both so much. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank, thank you for your honesty, your passion. It's, you know, it's been a, a really interesting and, and, and I think a lot for for listeners wherever they are in their career, but hopefully some senior leaders uh, to take away from it about, you know, where we are going as a profession and how we support our young people. Um it is time for us to say goodnight from here in South Wales. I do say Nostar, which is, is Welsh for goodnight. So thank you, Joanne, for coming on. And, and, and Nostar. Nostar, thank you so much for having me. And, and Michael as well. Good night. Absolute pleasure. And the dogs. Uh, great to hear from you. Thank you very much. Diolchambar and Nostar to you. Language teacher. Couldn't help it. Oh, of course. Yes. Well, Diane, well done. Um, so good night to uh, listeners from, from me here in Swansea, in South Wales. Um, we will see you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in. Talk it out. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio.